0: Amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out and turn uh, to the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. Go there with me, please. And as you are turning there, I just want to say something rather quickly. I am wearing um, a lot of black and blue today, and you may be wondering why I'm wearing black and blue. It's because that's how the Auburn Tigers feel after yesterday's game with Georgia. It's also how my wife's Texas A&M Aggies feel after they got rolled by the Alabama Crimson Elephants. And uh, this is how every Texas Tech Red Raider fan feels on on a Sunday morning after. Your favorite team gives up another fourth-quarter lead to lose the game. Black and blue is my favorite color on Sunday morning (laughs) as a Texas Tech Red Raider fan. But anyways, well, Daniel chapter 3. We are in this series, walking our way through this this great book, six stories, six historical stories, um, and then really six prophecies. You can really divide this book into two parts. Uh, The first part, uh, chapters 1 through 6, excluding chapter 2, you will see the historical stories, the true life stories of what it means to really live a life of following Christ and following God's standards in the midst of Babylon and anti-God, a godless society, if you will. Then chapters 7 through 12 is the prophetic uh, portion of this book, and we'll get to that here in a few few weeks, but today we're in Daniel chapter 3, and as we look at Daniel chapter 3… I want to ask you a really strange uh, question. Do any of you ever remember the movie um, uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Eddie Murphy? Some of you remember that? Yeah. Did you know that that movie came out 36 years ago? You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. That came out a long, long, long time ago. Now, um, when that movie came out, um, I was uh, a a young one, if you will, Um, and the movie was was, uh, rated R, so I could not watch that. Um, but uh, I have seen a Beverly Hills Cop, uh, the TBS version style. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, the supposed clean uh, version of that. But in that movie, um, Eddie Murphy stars in that. But there's, a, there's the theme song for Beverly Hills Cop. And uh, the title of that theme song is, The Heat Is On… Now, when the producers began to write this movie, they wanted a theme song to go along with this movie, and they only had $15,000. So they didn't have a large budget, so they thought, you know, let's ask a, a somebody nobody knows about to write a song. And so they hired um, a Glenn Fry of the Eagles, a pure nobody, right? I mean, this, no, who knows this guy? Who knows the Eagles? Never heard of him. Well, he pens and writes this song. They paid him $15,000 to write the song called The Heat Is On. I don't know if you remember that song or not, but uh, Google it later and uh, you will hear it. But um, after the writing of that song, after that movie, the song, The Heat Is On, became an international hit. That decade, it's become one of the top songs of of that decade all across the world, and it made millions and millions of dollars. Here's the lyrics, or here are the, the words to the song, and it goes like this. The heat is on, the heat is on, the heat is on. Aren't those great lyrics? Wonderful, yes. It's on the streets, inside your head, on every beat, and the beat's so loud it's deep inside because the pressure's high just to stay alive because the heat is on. You know it. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, guess what? (laughs) You got it. The heat is on. The heat is on. And I've titled today's message Faith in the Fire. My plan is to break chapter 3 into two parts, this Sunday and next Sunday, and, and it, it's, it's one story, and so uh, I really don't like to break up a story into two different parts, but uh, I just, through the Lord's prompting and through my prayer uh, through this chapter, I just, I just really believe that the Lord wants me to take my time through this chapter. Um, and a couple of reasons why. Number one, I just I think the Lord is 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 leading us in that. Um, also, many of you probably know this story, um, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand up to the king. They will not bow down, and he throws them into the fiery furnace. And then uh, an appearance like the Son of Man appears in the fire and rescues them. You remember this story? The problem with the story that is so well known is, is that you can look over so many things that are in here. And so what I want to do is I want to break this down over two weeks. And, and, and really, the, the, the third reason why I want to break this down is because over, over the past several weeks, um, I want to be real pastoral this morning. I've had countless people come talk to me and share with me, and I'm not going to share what you've shared unless you pay me. I will do that. <laughs> I'm not. I will not. Many of you have shared your fire with me, your trial. Many of you in this room, many of you watching and many around this room are going through some very difficult moments. Sickness, disease, relationship issues, COVID, and then to pour salt on the wounds, we have a very difficult election coming up. And I believe it's fair to say that many of us are feeling the pressure that the heat is on. To be a little transparent, 2020, I wished it would go away. Um, I, like many of you, have felt the pressures. I felt the heat. But what I want us to do today in chapter 3 is I want us to sit under the sovereign hand of God. I just want us to sit here, knowing that God is absolutely 100% in control. Don't understand it. A lot of times I don't like what happens. But as a believer in Christ, I must submit to the sovereignty of God. Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet, he wrote a book called Lamentations. Lamentations mean laments. It means weeping, crying. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 through 38, uh, Jeremiah the prophet penned these words. He said, Who has spoken and it has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? What does that mean? It means from the mouth of the Lord, both good and bad can come. That from the sovereign hand of God, good and bad can come. And since he is sovereign over it all, he is well aware of everything that is going on, even when the heat is on. So as we walk our way through Daniel chapter 3, we're going to make it through verse 18 today. As we do this, I just want us to sit under God's sovereign hand. And so, as as we read the Scripture, go through the Scripture, my prayer for you is that you would internally begin to say to the Holy Spirit, I submit to your will that today, that you would take on the same prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Uh, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Let that be your prayer this morning. Daniel chapter 3, as we begin this chapter, scholars say that Daniel chapter 3 actually takes place about 15 to 20 years after Daniel chapter 2. And you may say, you know, Pastor, how in the world did you come up with this? How do scholars come up with this? Well, uh, there's a book called the Septuagint. Um, If you have a Bible that has notes, you may see uh, these letters in capital letters, LXX. If you do Bible study and you see those, num- those letters, LXX, that stands for the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the oldest Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Many great scholars go back to the Septuagint to understand the Old Testament. And the Septuagint begins, verse number one, with these words, in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. So what that means is, that in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they're no longer teenagers. They're in their med, mid-30s. Last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 2, and, and we marveled at the faith of a teenager. Well, today, we get to marvel at the faith of a 30-year-old. And all the 30-year-olds say, thank you, Jesus. Yes. So we get to marvel at the faith of somebody who is, who is in the prime of their life. And so what I want to do is walk through this text. I want to talk about three things, the occasion, the declaration, and the decision. All right? So number one, write this down, the occasion. Here's the occasion. Here's Daniel chapter 3. Follow along as we read God's word, and we'll make these points as we go. Verse number one, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width, six cubits. Now, what in the world is a cubit? A cubit, everybody take your arm, take your hand, take it out, and point at your elbow, and then go to the tip of your finger. That's a cubit. Is that different for everybody? Yeah, pretty much, but that's a cubit. There you go. So what is a cubit? A cubit's about 18 inches. So let's do some quick math here. So Nebuchadnezzar has built a golden statue, a golden image All right, uh, that is 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, so which comes out to be about 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Now, in your mind, think of the Washington Monument. Not that tall, but probably close to that width. So something extremely tall and skinny. And this is what he says. And he sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. In the margin of your Bible, write this word, or these two words, ego trip. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He's on an ego trip. Nebuchadnezzar's full of himself. Why in the world, after Daniel chapter 2… Would, Dan, would, would, would Nebuchadnezzar build this this statue? Why would he build this statue? Has he forgotten the uh, the uh, the dream? Has he forgotten the the interpretation? Well, I do not believe that Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten the dream or the interpretation. What I do believe that this is fifteen to twenty years after the dream and the interpretation, and the dream and the interpretation from Daniel chapter two is this: Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, yes, you're the head of gold, but there's somebody who is coming after you who's going to wipe you out. Isn't that correct? Well, it's about 15 to 20 years afterwards, and nobody has wiped him out. What do you think Nebuchadnezzar is thinking? It ain't happening, right? this ain't going to happen. So right now, this is almost like Nebuchadnezzar is thumbing his nose at the sovereign God saying this, you know, you prophesied about me. You say that I was coming to ruin, but look at me now. Here I am, and I'm going to build a large statue in honor of me. Now, here's something else that you need to understand about the dating of this statue. It's really fascinating if you enjoy uh, Jewish history and whenever uh, Jerusalem was overthrown. Scholars say that this this statue, the year that it was built, was right around the time that Babylon finally overthrew Jerusalem in 586 BC. Do you see what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? Do you get it? You get, Look at your neighbor and say, I think I get it. Yeah, you get it. Nebuchadnezzar saying, I am God. I am it. Look at what I have done. Now let's Here's a little interesting take what scholars will say about Nebuchadnezzar here in verse number one is this. I want you to write this down. Scholars believe, and I too believe this as well, that Nebuchadnezzar is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Right here. Now, we know things are going to happen later, but right here, Nebuchadnezzar is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. And so, what do we mean by that? What do I mean by that? Whenever you read Scripture, there are enemies of God. And the enemies of God in Scripture are marked by the number six. Six equals man. Seven equals holiness, purity, God. Are you with me? Six equals man. Seven is God and holiness. Six is not the same as seven. And so six If there's a mark of six on man, it is typically in reference to you are an enemy of God. Let me give you some examples. Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, when he's about to fight David, his height is, guess what, six cubits. He had six pieces of armor. Scripture uh, identifies six pieces of armor. Uh, The spear's head on Goliath's spear was 600 shekels of iron. There's a correlation of six, six 6, the mark of a man. In 1 Kings, we read of Solomon, uh, the second king of Israel, who had all of his earthly glory. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, it's on the screen. It says this 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, says about Solomon. Now the weight of gold was came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Now what do we know about Solomon? He fell. Did he not? He fell because he did it in his own way power. Now, what does Scripture say about how tall Nebuchadnezzar's image is? It is 60 cubits by 6 cubits. Are you seeing a correlation? Go over to the book of Revelation with me real quick. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 18. Revelation chapter 13, this is the end of the book and we'll read about the beast from the earth that arises in the book of Revelation and uh, the book of Revelation talks about extreme pressure, extreme fire, um, extreme persecution that, uh, that some will either bow or burn and it will be very intense. Notice the number given to the Antichrist. Verse number 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is what, six hundred and sixty-six. So here's what we see very quickly, very quickly from uh, Daniel chapter three, verse one: Nebuchadnezzar is a man who believes that he is God. And throughout history, the best that man can produce by every available means and effort of rebellious will is six six, six. Listen, uh, the best that Nebuchadnezzar can do will always be a six, meaning he will never reach holiness. He will never reach sanctification. He will never reach glorification. And what that means for us as mankind, that anytime we work in our own flesh outside of Jesus Christ, the best it will ever be is a six. You will never be a seven outside of Christ. You will never be perfect. You will never be holy. You can never obtain sanctification or glorification. You will never reach it because you will always be a six if you remain in the flesh outside of Jesus Christ. And today we live in a world that continually creates images for us to fall in line with. Amen? Continually. In our world, we don't put up statues. We tear them down, quite frankly. <laughs> our statues, we don't have gold, but some of our images today that we, that we claim to uh, hold on to, we claim to, to, to physical beauty, which is idolized in our culture. Beauty, strength, pleasure, wealth, success. We put all of these on on, 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 on uh, as a statue, as an idol for us, but all of those are outside of Christ. It's a six. It's all it will be. Look at Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Go to Romans chapter one. In Romans chapter one, Paul writes this, and it's it's a continuation of The six of mankind. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. This is what Paul is saying. He says in verse 22, professing to be wise, he's talking about those outside of Christ. Professing to be wise, they became, everybody say that last word, they became fools. Well, what did they do? And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an, what's that word? Image idol, statue, for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and animals and reptiles. So Paul continues this theme that Nebuchadnezzar begins here in Daniel chapter 3, that the best that man can do is always a six. When you remain a six, you will always, 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 you will replace the, uh, the, 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 the incorruptible God with an image which is way less than the reality. And so instead of having statues on the plane, what we have is we have images in the brain. That's pretty good. We don't have statues on the plane, but we have images in the brain, and this is what is going on. Well, are you with me this morning? And this is just from chapter one, uh, verse number one. We have 17 more verses to go. Well, let's continue. Verse two, the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he sent word to assemble, now you're going to, I'm going to read these phrases, these names, and you're going to hear them over and over again. And so there's a little satire here when Daniel writes this, okay? The Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the, the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. These are the elected leaders of the day. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have been uh, appointed as governors. They've been serving for 15 years, but they're Jewish, but they're serving in a godless society. So here we have all the people uh, in in Babylon have come to see this statue on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse number 3. Then uh, the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, in between verses 3 and 4, I want you to write this phrase. Write this, the declaration. So we have the occasion, and now we have the declaration. And over the next several verses, we are going to hear the declaration that puts the heat on. Verse number four. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given. O peoples, nations, and men of every language. So so what this means is nobody can say, I didn't know. Have You ever heard that excuse before? I didn't know that. Well, nobody can say that. I didn't know. Now, let me take a step back from this text and make a little application point right here, okay? Talking about the heat is on, talking about the pressure. Right here in verse number four, this is the phone call that you receive. Are you with me? Are you with me? This is the news. This is the news. This is when the doctor says we need to talk. This is when, this is when our relationships this is when you hear these things that you don't want to hear. And it says in verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed. It says, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Look at verse number 5. That at that moment you hear, now you're about to hear one of the weirdest sounds ever. See if you can picture this in your mind, okay? That at that moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, I don't either. Let's keep going. All right? (laughs) The psaltery and the bagpipe and all kinds of music. Look at your neighbor and go, ugh. That's some interesting music. Well, the music starts and he says you are to fall down and you are to worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has that the king has set up. Now, here's what's really interesting when I began to break th- some of these uh, instruments down, um, is look at that word bagpipe. Anybody know what, the, what, what a bagpipe sounds like? Yeah, right? Well, here's an interesting thing. Uh, the Greek word that is used here in, for bagpipe is the word symphonia, which is where we get our word symphony from. I don't believe this was a symphony here, all right? This was nails on a chalkboard sound, right? This is crazy, but, but what we see here is that now Nebuchadnezzar, he does something. He introduces the term worship. He said, as soon as you hear this music, you bow down and you worship, right? You bow down and you worship this idol. Nine different times in this chapter, the word worship is used. Now, let's, let's break this down for you so that you understand what is going on. One, we already see that the Nebuchadnezzar is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, and this is going to be what a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist is going to do. Here's what happens. This term, bow, uh, worship, literally means to bow down and submit. Now, in context of Daniel chapter 3, here's what's happening. King Nebuchadnezzar is now combining the church and the state. We're starting to step on some toes here in a second, right? Right now in context Nebuchadnezzar he is joining the church and the state. He is now he is saying I'm the ruler and now as a ruler this is how you worship. You must worship this way. So right here in these in this declaration Nebuchadnezzar is saying, okay? Now he's saying I'm the king and now we're going to worship as I say and I'm bringing them together. Now know this. Historically Whenever the church and the state come together, it rarely works. Hello? It rarely works. When the church and state come together, it rarely works. Germany under Hitler. We cannot forget that. You can go all the way back to Roman Catholicism, kings and popes. When it began in 312, all the way to 1500 AD, when the kings and the popes, uh, they they came together and the church and state were come together, and the kings and the popes said this, there's only one true religion, and it is Roman Catholicism. Folks, did you know, as Baptists, we're called Protestants, Protestants comes from the word protesters, because many of those who protested against Roman Catholicism of that day, we were protesters, therefore protesters were killed for the faith. Many of the forefathers of our denomination, if you will, of Baptist, Protestants, were martyred during the reign of Roman Catholicism, medieval Roman Catholicism, when the church and the state ruled together. Several years ago, I was able to go to Oxford, England, and um, there on the street in Oxford, England, there is a, there's a burnt cross in the middle of the road. And, the, and on that cross in the middle of the road, um, it's etched into the street, um, is the place where the Oxford brothers were martyred. They were burned at the stake. And I've stood in their spot Their names, Thomas Cranmer, um, uh, uh, Thomas Cranmer, Nicholas Ridley, and Hugh Lattimore, and they were, they were martyred, they were burned at the stake because they stood up to uh, the church and the state. They said, listen, we will stand upon the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will not stand for the sufficiency of the church or the state. We stand on the sufficiency of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were burned. They were burned. Because the church and the state came together. You go look at China today. China is ripping churches apart. They're ripping churches apart. They're tearing churches down. Now, you can have a church in China today, but the government says, preacher, pastor, you will preach what I tell you to preach. This is why the church in China is going underground, and the church in China underground is thriving and is doing well. But the church above the ground is called the C3 church, and it is run by the government. By the way, a little history lesson here. The United States of America, no matter what the world is saying to you today, because they're rewriting history, are you with me? The United States of America was founded and based upon the freedom of religion. Because England was telling them, you must worship one way. England said, you must worship this way. The protesters, look at your neighbor and say, I love being a protester. Because that's where we come from. They probably did not peacefully protest back then. But the protesters said, no, 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 no. Because they saw the experiences and they saw what happened when the church and state came together. The United States of America, they came over, the pilgrims came over and said, we want want to start our own nation, our own country um, that has the church and the state, but we do not want the state to say everybody must worship this way. Nowhere was the United States ever created to say that the church cannot influence the state. right? But today, what do you hear? Get out. The separation, forget it. No, 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 no. We were founded upon the freedom of religion. We were founded upon, yes, there is a little bit of church, a separation of church and state, but it's only the separation meaning that the state cannot tell you how to worship, period. That's one of the things that we'll be praying for in our next 30 days of prayer. They will be praying for the churches in California um, who are being harassed to not have church, right? Other places, we need to pray for them. Pray for the godly men, godly pastors who are going through the fire to stand up for what they believe in. In no way, in any shape or form, are they downplaying or is anybody downplaying the role of the virus, amen? We're not downplaying that but we will not allow the state to tell us you can or you cannot worship. Now, do I personally believe that there is a true um, uh, outbreak um, and that we need to be separated for the time being? I, I'm not opposed to those things. Are you, are you with me? But there is something about it when believers in Christ come together and sit next to one another. Amen? Amen. Reach out to your neighbor and just look at them. Don't touch them because of the virus. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it through verse 18 today, y'all. I'm just going to let you know. We're going to try. We're going to try well. In verses three, uh, 4 and 5, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, not only do I want to be king, I want to be priests." That's what he's saying. And, and, and I'm the God, and you're gonna, this is how you're going to do it. Well, pick up in verse number 6. And this is what he says. Because this is what the state will do. But whoever does not fall down and worship this gold image shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Now, my question in this text has always been, how, what, how did the... How did the How did this furnace get there, right? Well, the furnace is there because it built the statue. Nebuchadnezzar has this all planned out, doesn't he? He knows what he is doing. And by the way, this story really took place over 2,600 years ago, and I believe it's just as relevant to us today. I want you to write this down. It's not on the screen, but write this down. Rejecting the world's images... When we reject the world's images, people will try to burn us. This is something I just keep thinking about. When we reject the world's images, they will try to burn us. I'm not talking literally, but if you do something on social media, you will get roasted, right? And many of us have been Shy, And now I do not believe that social media is the appropriate way to do those things. But that does make us gun shy when we, when we have conversations with somebody because we don't want to get roasted. Because when we reject the world's images, when we reject the world's idols, when we tell somebody that their, their thoughts is not in line with Scripture, they're not going to like it. And they will want to burn us well. This is going to happen here. Look at verse number seven. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of that beautiful music, next week we're having all of these instruments on stage. Next time, I'm just going to let you know. All right? Verse seven, and all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, what did they do? They fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. I, I, I wish I wished Daniel would, would just write in, would have written in another phrase, although we know it because we read it later, but I wish he would have put in these next words, except these three, right? I mean, I understand it, I know it, but I just wish he would have said that, except these three. Can you picture this? All of these people are there in the plain of Dura, they see this, this Washington monument type statue, this beautiful music begins to play and boom, they all fall down. And then these three guys. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, what do you think Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, their hearts are just pounding, aren't they? I mean, it's pouncing out of their chest. You can see it pouncing. And oh, goodness, you see these three guys standing up, and you know, you know this made people mad. You know it upset them. Look at verse number eight. For this reason, what reason? These three men stood up. They did not bow down, they did not bow to this image. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and they brought charges against the Jews. Uh, Out in the margin of your Bible, write this word anti Semitism. Do not think that hatred of Jews is relatively new in our world, it has been since the beginning. Because Satan, the Antichrist, the beast, they know the, the importance of the Jewish people, that from the Jewish people, the Messiah the Messiah has come. All right? This is anti-Semitism. Now watch this, and watch how, how these Chaldeans, these other, these other rulers, watch how they kiss up to old King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 9, they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, Oh, king, live forever. And the margin of your Bible is write these words, yeah, right. They don't care. They 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 just want promotions, right? Verse 10, you, O king, you've made a decree that every man who hears this beautiful music, oh, the bagpipe, brings me to my knees. It says to fall down and to worship the golden image. Verse 11, but you, king, you said this, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of a blazing fire, verse 12. Well, O king, there just happen to be certain Jews. Anti-Semitism. They've singled them out. Now watch what they do. Now they turn it, and they turn it back onto the king. Watch. There are certain Jews whom, what? You appointed O king. O king, live forever. But you, O king, have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. And they are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, three things. Have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, what do you think they're going to say next? Throw them where? Throw them in the fire. Well, look at that word disregarded. In verse 12, look at that word disregarded. In Aramaic, it literally means... To be eaten up and torn to shreds. These are the co workers of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they go before the king and they rip them apart. And the heat is on. Write this down again, this is on the screen. Doing the right thing always makes some people angry. Doing the right thing always makes some people angry. Listen, if you do the right thing, if you show character, if you show compassion, if you have integrity, or if you have any other Christ-like quality, it's going to make somebody mad. And let me give you a perfect example of this. His name, Jesus. The perfect human being, 100% God, 100% man. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and they killed him. And they put him on a cross. So all of you perfectionists that are out there, I'm one of you. No matter how perfect you are, you will always make somebody mad by what you do. All you people pleasers out there, I be one of you too. You will always make somebody mad when you do the right thing. Well, isn't this a great story? It was getting heavy there for a minute. I don't like heaviness. Teasing. Look at verse 13. Look what happens. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, he's arrogant, and he has an anger problem. He gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or, or worship the golden image that I have set up? Is it true? Verse 15. Now, I'm in a really good mood, boys. I'm in a good mood. Now, if you're ready, At the moment you hear the most beautiful music you're ever going to hear, at the moment you hear this music, boys, I want you to fall down and worship the image that I've made. If you do so, very well. But if you do not worship, and now you see his face begin to change, but if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of a blazing fire. And then look at this next line, because this is Nebuchadnezzar. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Here's what we see. Nebuchadnezzar, in his foolishness and in his arrogance, decides to have a God contest. We've seen those a lot in the Old Testament, haven't we? David and Goliath. David says, you're cursing my God. Watch out. Elijah, the prophets of Baal, cut yourself all you want. It ain't going to happen because my God is going to wipe you out. We see God contests all throughout Scripture. We still see God contests today. And what God contests are waiting for is for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say, I'm going to believe in God. And let my God take care of it. And here's Nebuchadnezzar says, Let me see what your God can do for you. As a matter of fact, I really don't think your God can do anything for you because you know why? Because I'm God. Well, write this down the decision. Now, watch this. Here are three things, and this is where I want to close. Here are three things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do or did when the heat is on, and how I want to encourage those of you who are going through the pressure when the heat is on. Follow this example because they're leaning on God the Father. Number one, write this down. They did not defend themselves. How many of you, if you're standing right in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, your blood's boiling, right? Your blood's boiling. You want to... Don't mess with me. Right? Notice they do not defend themselves. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. They said, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Meaning, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to answer your questions. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to defend ourselves. As a matter of fact, we're not even worried about what's going to happen. Because we believe in our God, not you as God. Now, let's make the application here on this point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do not panic. They do not worry when the heat and the temperature was turned up. Listen, some of you, the temperature's been turned up. And the natural inclination is to panic, is to worry, and is to defend ourselves. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what he's talking about this morning. I have no clue. Yes. Paul in the book of Philippians, he picks up this theme when he says these words, "Do not be anxious about anything." Whew. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Oh, if it was easy. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything. Now listen. But through prayer and supplication, I know you who are going through some difficult things, you're praying, you're supplicating. But then Paul adds these next words. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. If you're going through a fire right now, the heat is on, have you stopped to say thank you? It's hard, isn't it? But have you stopped to say thank you? Because Paul says that when you do that, when you're not anxious, you turn it into a moment of thanksgiving, that God, you're bringing me to a fire. Thank you. I don't want to be burned, but you're doing it. And the promise is this, and then the peace of God will come over you. Some of you need peace. And it begins with thanksgiving. Listen, as we stand before the Father in heaven, we don't have to defend ourselves. Remember, the best we can do is a six. We're a six. That's all we are. Outside of ourselves, we can't do it. All we can do is claim the blood of Jesus as we enter into the throne room and say, Man, Father, I don't have anything. I'm weak. I'm worthless, I'm, I, I don't have anything. And God says, you don't have to defend yourself. Just claim my son's name, Jesus. Hold, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Look at verse 17. If it be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here's the second thing that they did. They remembered that God is able. Once you say that those last three words with me together on count of three, one, two, three. God is able. Let's say it again. God is able. Listen, it does not matter what mess you are in right now. It does not matter the difficulty that you are in. It doesn't matter the crisis that you are in. It doesn't matter the relationship instability that you're in. It doesn't matter the financial situation you find yourself in. It doesn't matter what kind of fire you are in. Know this, that God is able. There are over 7,000 promises in this book over 7,000 promises. And we need to begin to claim at least one. Just begin with one. In a couple years, I'll ask if you know all 7,000 of them. Just begin with one. Claim it. Hold on to it. Here's one, and some of you need this. Write this one down. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 and 3. Some of you need to write this down, memorize it, hold it, put it on the refrigerator, put it on your smartphone, put it on the dashboard of your car, cover up the Speedometer, and it reads, listen to these words, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. By the way, this was written before Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Beshach and Abednego. Verse three says this: "For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior." What does that mean? Count on it. Claim it. Hold on to it, and remember that God is able. They didn't defend themselves they remember that God is able, then here's the, one of the most difficult things. Number three, they place their lives in the hands of God. They left it up to God. Look at verse number 18. But even if he does not, if God doesn't save us, if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't deliver us from your hand, let it be known to you, O king, we are not going to serve your gods and we are not going to worship the old golden image that you have set up. They entrusted themselves into God's sovereign plan. This is submitting to God's sovereignty. This is Job saying, Though he slay me. This is Jesus saying, Not my will be done, but yours be done. Wow. Let me close with this. There's three ways that God can deliver you. We may talk more about this next week, but there's three ways that God can deliver you from a fire. Number one, He can deliver you from the situation. That's the fun way. It's Jesus calming the storm. Amen? That would have been Jesus putting the fire out. He can deliver you from the situation. Number two, he can deliver you through the situation. I don't like that one. Some of you are going to have to go through. Some of you have been through. In the African-American church uh, tradition, they always say something of this: these words about praising God. When I get through. Meaning when I'm on the other side, you got to go through. God will save you from the situation. He may save you through the situation. And there's one more that we don't want to talk about. But we have to talk about it. He can deliver you over to the situation. Which means death. It also means glorification. And here's the reality. God chooses which way to deliver us. I've been through fires. You've been through fires. I've been delivered from some. I've been delivered through some. Haven't been delivered over to something yet, but church, I believe that's coming. I believe that's coming in the United States. And we have to make the decision today. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the most powerful king of the day, and he said these words, and they said, But even if he does not, even if he doesn't deliver me from this disease that I've been praying for God to heal me of, are you with me? Even if he doesn't reconcile this relationship that, oh gosh, I've been so praying, and even if he doesn't deliver me from it. But even if he doesn't deliver me from it, even if he doesn't deliver me through it, meaning that that I go through this difficulty and it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, and even if I'm delivered unto death, O king, I will never serve you. I just want to hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Will you make that decision today? That you'll submit your plans, submit your will, submit the fire, submit it to God and say, God, deliver me ever how you see fit, because I know this, whatever you do, it's going to be the best, and may your name be glorified, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Daniel. Faith in chapter 2. His courage. Thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their courage here in this chapter. Father, I pray right now, if there's somebody in this room who has never submitted their life to you and their plans to you, I pray that they would do so through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ we can be forgiven if you've never submitted your life to Jesus you have the opportunity all you have to do is say father I give my life to you I surrender my life to you there may be somebody here this morning you're going through a fire you're going through difficulty you're going through a crisis you need healing you want healing you need restoration you want restoration and you don't know if it's going to come. You don't know, but you want to be delivered from it. And I'll join with you in praying for that, but i also join you in praying that it may God deliver you through it, from it, through it, or over to it. And we say, God, your will be done. I just want you to be glorified. This morning, God, we, we submit to you. Heads are bowed and eyes closed, and we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. what where, where you are, would you just say right now, Father... Not my will, but yours be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.